we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 25,508 hours into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, how are you? Uh, I'm fair to middling. Thank you very much for asking. And you guys? Nothing alive here. I'm doing all right, uh, apart from uh, it's a, air's a little dry. You know, cold and you know it's kind of it's kind of dry. You know, we don't have the don't have the sea around all of us like those of you in the United Kingdom, so we don't get that fresh salt water wafting across our uh, our front lawns all the time. Ah, I'm currently about two miles from the sea. Well, fortunate for you, if there is a uh, a crisis of any kind of uh, food, I suspect that you'll be down there on the beach with your fishing tackle. After I've emptied out all the supermarkets nearby, yes. And commandeered what you need that you don't have from other people. Yes, yeah. That is the key to, to survival. It is, yes. Make sure, make sure you've got neighbors who can't fight back. Which is why Marty lives in a neighborhood with libtard snowflakes. <laughs> All right, um, we've got a multitude of things to get into today, but uh, I thought we would start with the uh, the earthquake in uh, in Turkey. I know that we were kind of just tossing around uh, some possible theories. I'm not going to go tinfoil hat, or maybe we will uh, about uh, what could possibly be going on over there. But the death toll officially just hit over twenty thousand. The World Health Organization, oddly enough, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Gates Foundation and the Chinese Communist Party, declared a few hours after that earthquake hit in Turkey that there's at least 20,000 dead. How would they know that? Good question. But given the, the magnitude of the earthquake and the aftershocks and the number of buildings collapsing, by now, I would imagine somewhere within the World Health Organization and the UN would be a database that will give them that rough calculation. So maybe their their data gathering and past experience for once is 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 kind of accurate. So it's an it's an awful thing to happen. And you're right, we do need to not put our tinfoil hats on and just look at what needs to be done to help those people that have survived and those that have survived, many of which have lost absolutely everything. But on the evening news today, they were showing an aerial photograph of an area of the city. It begins with M. I can't pronounce it. Before the earthquake, 
and it showed the the football stadium after the earthquake. The football stadium is now full of tents because that's where they've put the survivors. My concern from the footage that I saw on TV was it all seems to be a little bit too circular and centralised. But, you know, these things are indiscriminate. The way in which the earth is going to break up and crumble, it can't really be calculated or measured or, or counted on in any particular way. It's it's pure chaos. And from the footage that you're showing now, you've got extreme cold weather as well. And many of these people that are, have now been made homeless again are those that escaped from Syria during the conflict in Syria. So well, Syria they are now... With the same earthquake or, or a separate one, I believe. Yeah, it's they're, they're neighboring countries. It, it's it's going to be in the same region. So it's no wonder these people whenever possible, move through Europe to France, then jump on small boats to the UK. And and there will be even more of them now um, made homeless, nothing else to lose. They might have money in a bank that they can turn into a ticket west. But, you know, Turkey's a NATO country. And what should be happening is the whole of NATO should be mobilizing to go and help that country. And it's- we are... We are sending some. We're we're sending some military support planes. I I did see that we've got um, uh, rescue crews and uh, a lot of our uh, of our military aid was being loaded up on cargo planes, and we're sending them over. They're either in transit or they've already landed. Yeah, I mean, nowadays all the help that they need should already be on its way. It's as simple as that. I've got nothing but sympathy for the people that are suffering there. As far as your uh, your assessments about, uh, and again, you know, we're not we're not going to get into like conspiracy theories here. And I I would I'd just like to point out that uh, you know I had heard about this. I, I want to say it was around. I think I was telling you about seven or eight years ago. So this is not a new thing. Uh, and I I don't know if there's any truth to it or, or not. Obviously, if you have any kind of a thing like what I'm about to uh, to bring up, obviously I I would assume that that would be something that is uh, a classified program. I can't imagine that you would. I mean, if something like that existed, then and it was public, then you would have all kinds of havoc. But uh, that being said, uh, and again, I I don't know if this is uh, if this is even I don't know if it's even possible. But like I said, I heard this a good number of years ago, and the way that that you first mentioned that the circular pattern that it, at least from the aerial footage that's what it looked like. It was a it was circular in uh, in the destruction. I had heard about seven or eight years ago that earthquake weapons existed. Now I don't know again I- if. If there's any truth to it, but I'm just basing it on what I was informed about that time ago and what you had said about the pattern of destruction. That's the only point that I'm trying to make here is that. Yeah, and and I had also heard that such weapons might exist, but nothing official. And as I say, when I saw the footage, it just looked strangely circular. I would expect it to have been more chaotic, more along the lines of a line, a fault line, with damage stretching out either side of some kind of line, not circular areas of destruction within the city. But something we have to be careful of, uh, and I was having this this discussion with Ned earlier today, and, and it's one of the hardest things we've got to do is to convince people that what we're saying is the truth. One of the the biggest obstacles to that is how it's all linked. 
the mass movement of people. So things like climate change, like the, the pandemic, like, you know, energy crisis, the war in Ukraine, we know that there is a, a, a link between all of these things. But trying to convince someone um, that something is happening is difficult when you start to explain all the elements of it because you sound crazy to yourself. You know, as the words come out of your mouth, you think, where's my tinfoil hat? Am I a complete nut job for believing this? But when you've looked at it as deeply and as objectively as we all have, you know that to be the truth. But when you try and convince someone to join the dots up, you sound crazy to yourself. So at the moment with the earthquake in Turkey, and and Bruce has pointed out as well, that damage elsewhere is is more chaotic. It was just that one shot of the city with a, a big round circle on the ground of destruction. Although I have heard rumour of earthquake bombs, you know, seismic weapons, I think in this particular case, this is just a really unfortunate, you know, natural occurrence. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. And to be honest with you, I think that would be a good a good topic to cover on uh, on one of our conspiracy corners when we finally get that up and running. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else on the earthquake? Either one of you? I will just say this: the one and only earthquake that I felt um, was in when I was in Abu Dhabi, and the ep- the epicenter was somewhere in Pakistan or um, you know, Afghanistan along the border. But immediately prior to that, Kim Jong-ul had been setting off several deep core nukes as part of their testing program. And who knows, you get a nuclear explosion happening deep underground in one part of the world. There has to be a knock-on effect. You know, these ripples move out. But I haven't heard any news of anyone doing any testing recently. As to so. why this should that. suddenly happen now. Yeah, we we would have noticed. But I did see, uh, and some people had referenced uh, some screenshots of, of tweets of seismologists in various parts. I think there was a uh, one was in the Netherlands, another one was in Belgium, one was in the UK, I think, and a couple from the US from different universities and things. And uh, geologists and seismologists, they had predicted. Uh, I want to say it was about three or four months ago, they said that that part of the world, that in the Med somewhere, that fault line that's down, that major fault line that runs between Greece, Turkey, and uh, and Syria, that region was due for something. Uh, they, they didn't say how big it would be, but they said that it was due. And of course, nobody paid any, uh, any mind to it. But one thing that, that, um, that I'd like to point out, uh, and you're, you've spent a lot of time in the Middle East, they don't reinforce their buildings when they build them like this? Because it seems like I, I didn't see any kind of structural uh, support when these buildings came down. It's like they just fell over. Now, I have no idea whether this practice happened in that city, but what tends to happen or has happened in Abu Dhabi and Dubai is that they build using rebar, so reinforced iron bars to make a framework. Those are then shuttered in, concrete is put in, and then it hardens inside the shutters. Then the shutters are removed and used again on the next section. But what has happened in some cases is that unscrupulous builders have poured the concrete in got the building inspectors to look to see it's got the reinforcing uh, metal inside. They've gone and they've been pulled out 
before the concrete is hardened. So they are just left there unreinforced just to basically cheat and save money. I'm not saying that's happened here, but it all depends on the age of those buildings as well. I mean, you get ancient Roman concrete actually had large amounts of lime, lumps of lime inside it. And when that gets wet, the concrete repaired itself. That's why we've still got ancient Roman concrete buildings to this day because of the construction of the concrete. Well, it was very different nowadays. It's very different. It's It doesn't have those lumps of lime inside it. And you get things, you know, a, a, a set of circumstances called concrete cancer, where basically it dries out and flakes away and becomes very weak. In the UAE, they virtually knock down all of their buildings that are about 30 years old and rebuilt brand new ones. So I very much doubt that kind of rejuvenation has happened inside Turkey. Uh, and some of the footage I was finding, the, the rubble, very few of the buildings that were concrete, looked to be concrete construction, had uh, any kind of reinforcement, you know, metal that you could see in the rubble. There was very little rebar or any of that kind of stuff there. Um, there was a few buildings that you could see. It looked like there was some kind of uh, metal mesh, but nothing that looked like it was actual reinforcement. Yeah, well, and, and again, Turkey is not as rich a country as the UAE. So therefore, the building standards of older buildings are not going to be um, as good as as they are these days, as as good as they should be. So it's not surprising that, that a, a great number of buildings have just been completely destroyed. Right. Uh, moving right along to the, uh, the the pressing topic of the day, Marty, you had a visitor to the United Kingdom yesterday. Yeah, I don't remember inviting him, but um, he turned up anyway. He did, and the way he got off that plane, did you see how, how glorious of a uh, of a celebration it was uh, when he got off the plane? Uh, this is your uh, unelected Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak, who's greeting uh, Zelensky By the way, as he's getting off. Um, yeah, go ahead. I I just need to mention, just to make me feel better, that Rishi Sunak is an anagram of high risk anus. Carry on. No, that's that's a fair assessment, I have to say. And he certainly lives up to that uh, that anagram. Uh, you you can see that uh, Zelensky here, he gets the all but the royal welcome and the red carpet roll up. Maybe there was a red carpet. Maybe the camera just didn't catch it. But you see, he's getting off the plane there and he's in clean pressed uh, fatigues and, and shiny combat boots and, uh, and everything else. And yeah, he's... He's really getting it, but he was walked over to um, to uh, well, they took a short ride uh, down to uh, down to number ten, uh, and this is the the welcome he got going into number ten. I'd like to point out that uh, Bruce mentioned yesterday when we were watching this that this is more attention than this actor has ever gotten. Yeah, and this is uh, this is what they do. This is how they, how they welcome someone who has basically stolen a country, promoted neo-Nazi paramilitaries. Um, has demanded weapons and arms and aid from the rest of the world, yet they wouldn't give Donald Trump a state welcome. They were so anti anti that. The trouble is the British people have no clue what Zelensky and what the new Ukraine is really all about. All we have known is Russia's the enemy. Russia is the enemy. Putin's the bad guy. They're both bad guys, people. You need to wake up and smell the coffee and realize, as I stated some months ago, there's no 
good guy in this war. There are only victims. The whole war is to cover up dirty money, filthy gain-of-function research labs, and to pave the way for the first totally digital country that Ukraine will become at the end of this war. That's the truth of it. All that nonsense for, you know, dime store action man Zelensky in his his G.I. Joe (laughs) army jumper and trousers. For goodness sake, we get it. We get it. Your country's at war and you've prolonged that war and and you've, you've provoked that war. You can stop dressing up now. You, you could have worn a suit. Richie Sunak is a weaselly, weedy question mark of a man. I, honestly, you know, I'm not the world's fittest guy, but when I see someone with such a, a weedy body, I don't want that man as my leader. It just makes me feel physically ill. And the kind of welcome they've given to Zelensky disgusts me. And it got worse when they were there at Lulworth handing over medals to the troops that we're training to uh, crew our tanks, for God's sake. Our tanks. It's oh, it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I I wholeheartedly concur with you, my friend. And you, it's just fitting that they're in, uh, in Dorset here and they're giving the uh, the press conference in front of all the, uh, the media whores in front of a tank, in front of one of your tanks. Yeah, that's my tax money, Sunak. Mine. You know, I don't want it to go to Ukraine. I do not want a single penny of my tax money to go to Ukraine. But you, you unelected piece of crap, are making these decisions. And you you're gonna you're gonna regret it. You're gonna regret these decisions. Oh, it gets even worse, my friend. I hate to say that to you, but it, I mean, it's it's not any better coming out of the U.S. side. I think we're the ones that are enabling all this to begin with. But uh, it's uh, it's not any better coming out of my country, I can assure you, and all the other uh, NATO countries, I might add. But um, it's about to get a whole lot worse. And the reason I say that is because of what we were discussing in prep. We're going to discuss it now. This was the question posed to both Zelensky and Sunak. We're not going to take the response from Zelensky, but we'll listen to Sunak on the guarantees that were made that are due to come. Um, Mr. President, first of all, you've made a broad and emotional appeal today for further support. But I think a lot of British people want to know some of the specifics. For example, when do you believe this Russian offensive will happen? How many fighter jets do you need? When do you need them? And what happens if you don't get them? And to you, Mr. Prime Minister, you seem to be inching towards a position of being able to provide fighter jets towards the Ukraine, for the Ukrainians. Can you offer absolute clarity here and now? Will they get them? And if so, when? Thanks, uh, Rohit, for the question. Why don't I start yeah, and then uh, I'll do that a lot So, the, look, for, first of all, we've been very clear and we've been clear for a long time that when it comes to the provision of military assistance to Ukraine, nothing is off the table. And that's because we're determined to ensure that Vladimir, the president, and his people can be victorious against Russian aggression. And we've backed up that rhetoric with action. Last year, behind the United States, we were the single largest donor of military equipment to Ukraine, and we said that we would match or exceed that amount, almost two and a half billion pounds again this year. And you saw when it came to the provision of main battle tanks. We were the first G7 nation. I announced that weeks ago, something that 
President and I had discussed previously, it was important in order to ensure that Ukraine could make progress on the battlefield. And I think we helped lead an international conversation which led to many other countries following us and providing main battle tanks to Ukraine. So when it comes to fighter combat aircraft, of course, they are part of the conversation. Indeed, we've been discussing that today and have been previously. And that's why we've announced today that we will be training Ukrainian Air Force on NATO standard platforms. Because the first step in being able to provide advanced aircraft is to have soldiers or aviators that are capable of using them. That is a process that takes some time. We've started that process today. That's because we're keen to support the president and his country in delivering a victory. And nothing is off the table. And our leadership on this issue is something that we all collectively should be very proud of. And I know that the president is grateful for. So the next thing to go... Uh, are now going to be fighter jets. We're going to send those when we haven't even sent tanks yet. And then I, I, you got I don't a, even... You've got to listen carefully. Yeah, Sorry, go you've got to listen to ca carefully to what high-risk Anus said. He said, nothing is off the table. We've started that discussion, and we are starting to train Ukrainian pilots on modern NATO platforms. Now, there's an awful lot of countries within NATO and they haven't all got Eurofighters. They haven't all got um, Typhoon. They haven't all got Tornado even, which is on its way out. They haven't got F-35s. They've got different platforms. And one of the most common jet trainers is, a, is an aircraft called the Hawker Hunter. I think it's the Hawker Hunter. And some air forces around the world have this trainer aircraft as their main jets. So there's no guarantee, I hope there's no guarantee, that we'll be giving top-level, ultra-modern aircraft to Ukraine because 14 old, probably on their last legs, Challenger 2s is one thing. That's just, as you said the other day, as you said the other day, it's just a really good propaganda picture of a NATO tank destroyed by a Russian anti-tank weapon, whereas... The ultra-modern aircraft, that's a different matter altogether. Again, they need trained pilots, uh, and they need them to survive and not be shot down. So I think that's that may be too much of a risk, but we'll see. Could possibly be, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah go, before you say that, I'd just like to say that uh, all of this um, idea that we're sending Leopard 2 tanks now, that's all been rescinded, and they've decided that they're going to be sending Leopard 1 tanks instead. Which is called not War. to mention Era. the yeah, it, yeah. it's and, and the um, aircraft that you're talking about is also Cold War, uh, the um, Hawker Hunter. Yeah. Um, it well, technically 1953 ish, I think it was, but anyway, um, not to mention the the crews that they need uh, to maintain those aircraft if or uh, tanks that we're sending over, you're gonna have to train them how to maintain it and give them the hardware to maintain it. Um, especially if you're, if you're going to send newer aircraft, especially there's a lot of systems and computers and electronics and all that fun stuff. in these, these aircraft that are going to need maintaining, uh, and it's not, you can't train someone overnight or within a short period of time to maintain those things. And again, Johnny and I were talking about this in prep, the translation, the translation of all the tech pubs into Ukrainian, because not all of their service personnel are going to be fluent in English. In the UAE, their entire armed forces 
are trained in English. And it's it's difficult sometimes because they're not all great English speakers. Most of the officers are, but the the NCOs and uh, and the private soldiers, sailors and airmen are not necessarily brilliant English speakers. It, it it's it's potluck as to whether they they paid attention at school. And of course, we had a whole team of um, translators. And they used to get it wrong quite quite regularly. And th- this is just the the light side of it. I've been in a meeting where where the where the general has said, um, "Why are we fighting with monkeys?" And everyone's looked at each other to say, "What is he talking about?" But then when you've looked at the translation, they've misheard the word guerrilla, guerrilla, small war, and written the word guerrilla, which then got translated into Arabic. So he, he was confused as to why they were fighting with monkeys. A few weeks later, in another meeting, a suggestion that some of their vehicles be shelved for a while and put into storage. And we use a term in the UK, mothballed. I don't know if you have this use the same we term in the yep. States. Yep, we do. So so this particular uh, brigadier, I think it was then, says, why are we painting the tanks with butterflies? Because, again, the translation had been you know, slightly on the wrong side. But the funniest one was, I don't understand. Why must we take our clothes off to use the weapon? Because it actually said strip and assemble. So they're taking the word strip (laughs) and use the word, the Arabic word for disrobe. Translation's a hard thing. And teaching people in a foreign language how to use your military hardware is difficult. And it takes a very long time. It does, especially as something as complex as an F-16, as something as, as complex as that. And I, I was saying in uh, in prep, it takes a year for our pilots. It takes a year minimum for them to go through training to be able to even get their hands on it to begin with. And that they're, they're spending all that time in, in theory, in, uh, in book work, in classrooms, uh, in training simulations and everything else before they even get to the point where they're allowed to fly with uh, with a training instructor. And that's long before they ever get to go, uh, you know, fly solo. That, that's long before that. Any Anything, any operation, any input that a human has that has to be done immediately, it re- you know, requires immediate action, has to be trained to a very high level and repeated several times in training in order for that individual to remember it and it's going to muscle memory. That's also why a lot of things like personal weapon drills are repeated all the time so that they're constantly refreshed so that mistakes are not made. And this this concept of of training people in a such a short space of time to operate complex fighter and strike aircraft is completely barking mad. Why is it, do you think, from, from uh, your experience and, and your knowledge of aviation, military aviation, and, and spending time in the service, why is it, do you think, that the Russians, specifically, because that's what all this is about, right? The, the quote, Russian aggression. Why is it, do you think, that we still have, at least in, in Western countries, why do we still have air superiority over the Russians? They never did uh, update their their military aircraft to the level that we have here in the West. Why is that? The reason is Russians go for quantity, not necessarily quality. They never throw away anything. 
the aircraft either fall apart and, and don't get used anymore, but if they're still working, if they're still held together by, you know, sweat and, and uh, duct tape. They've still got 3,000 DC-3s in service that we gave them under the Lend-Lease program. Exactly. exactly. And so they go for definitely for quantity, not quality. But the truth of the matter is, certainly within the UK, because we can't afford uh, to have as many aircraft as we like, our aircraft are of extremely high quality, highly trained pilots and navigators, and the weapon systems and sensors are top of the line. The Russians don't invest money into that level of research. They'll steal it, same as the Chinese. They'll steal it and they'll copy it, but the copy is never as good as, as the original. So that's that's why we've maintained air superiority. But at the same time, when was it last actually tested? When was Soviet air power tested against Western air power? And to some extent, that happened in Korea. It happened during that war, but that was 1950. That was in the 50s. So it's been a very long time since those two powers have been um, set against each other. And all we've got is exercise information and information from and data from the war with Iraq and the use of our aircraft in Afghanistan. We haven't got the data of NATO aircraft versus Soviet aircraft or Russian aircraft because they haven't faced each other. Perhaps that's what they're trying to goad them into. It's a bit of an extreme way to um, test a theory, don't you think? To bring some yeah, ship, bringing us to, to the verge of, um, first of all, tactical nukes, which they were yeah, talking about. Yeah. But these people are crazy. I don't I, like. I don't see any shred of sanity amongst these people uh, to begin with. So why not cause all the havoc? Why not cause? I mean, they're just looking for an excuse to crash the markets. They're just looking for an excuse to expand the scope of this uh, this conflict onto continental Europe and hop across the channel while they're at it. So why not? Well, up until the end of the Second World War, there was a major war in Europe every twenty to thirty years. And that kept our populations down. We've we've talked about this before on the podcast as well. So with the bombs being dropped in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, everyone went, oh, we better not do that again for a while. But there have been smaller wars fought around the planet. And I hate to say this, guys, and I, and I have said it before, American foreign policy has driven most of those wars. And because of the way we're painted, we come out as looking like the good guy. But are we the good guy? I noticed while we were looking through our videos earlier on, there's that one, that Mitchell and Webb video of the two SS men stood in a trench somewhere. And it's like, oh, look at our uniforms. They are black. We have skulls on our cap. Are these the good guys? Um, no, you're not. That's the truth of it, isn't it? That no one's really a good guy in this war in particular. And when you look back with what we know about the other wars that we've fought in recent years, there is still no good guy. There's this capitalist push from America, and there's this desire to use Marxism and communism from the East. And until people stop letting themselves be pushed around by arsehat politicians, 
we're going to have this situation time and time again. Not going to get any argument from me, my friend. Uh, you make some valid points there. But I have to ask, with this visit uh, yesterday, Marty, by, by the way, did you see uh, who else Zelensky was uh, was there to greet? Did you did you see that he was he was greeted by by the king himself? Took audience with the king. Yeah, he did. He did. I saw that on the TV. I, I had to immediately get some tissues and wipe all the spit off of my television. That came from me, obviously. Obviously. Because yeah. I'm a loyal Brit. I'm a patriot. And I know you two guys are patriots as well. But it's getting harder and harder to love my country. I can see the kind of scum that are leading it. There's an easy way to, to convince yourself to continue to love your country. Would you like for me to tell you? Please do. Please do. It's as simple as convincing yourself of this. And I don't think it would take much convincing because it's the truth. I love my country, not my government. It's a very good statement. I love my country, but not my government. Yes, that. And, you know, maybe you're just too upset when you watch the TV and you, you see uh, Zelensky over there. You're not embracing things clearly because obviously what you what you really wanted to do, you, you really wanted to ask Zelensky for a hug, didn't you? When you say hug, if you mean rear naked choke, uh, yeah. This is a reporter at the uh, the press conference. She's asking for just a small thing from President Zelensky. Uh, next, call, call on BBC Ukraine. I would really like to hug you, but I'm not allowed. Why not? Please, do give me a hug, you know. <laughs> You see, Marty, you just need to give a hug. Give him a hug. Absolutely, I'd give him a hug. A rotted, jugular, quick blood choke. It'd be over very quickly. Anything else you've got on the uh, the state visit, uh, and and anything that we're uh, we're we're now going to offer to the Ukrainians? I mean, why why don't we just give them our entire uh, military force? Why don't we, hell? Why don't we just give them our navy? Did Did you hear that they were asking about nuclear submarines last week? Did you hear about that one? <laughs> they, I'm not. I'm not uh, joking. They said, you know, you guys, you, you guys have got a, a lot of those uh, those nuclear submarines. You don't need all those, do you? We could use a couple of those. I mean, just imagine what we could do with a couple of those to to get rid of the uh, the Russian aggression in the Black Sea. Um, how is this not the Ukraine becoming part of NATO? I I don't know. And they're Why? they're talking about fast tracking them into the EU. If, if they're going to do these things, why don't they just do them? And I'll tell you why they don't just do them, because Ukraine will ultimately be destroyed. That's what the plan is, because they want to start again. It's the Marshall Plan for Ukraine. That's Instead true. Instead of rebuilding Germany, it's rebuilding the Ukraine at the rest of our expense. Instead of the expense of the billionaires that are planning all this stuff, of the Davos group, of, of of the globalist elite who are driving all of this, it's going to be people like me and yourselves, taxpayers, that fund the rebuilding of the new digital, socially scored Ukraine. Because at the end of the day, they don't want NATO to lose a battle because there'll still be that, that big bear in the East to keep us all scared and keep us in place, just as the same as they did during the uh, invasion or after the invasion of Kuwait by Iraq. They left Saddam Hussein in the region as a threat to all of the other Gulf states in case he did it again. And it, it took 
10 years before they decided to get rid of him uh, and bring more chaos into the region. Because by that time, that movement of people through the north of Africa, through the Levant, into Greece and Albania, and then across into Europe and finally to the UK, it was time for that to start happening and increase. So that's why they took Saddam Hussein out, because it left that pathway open. So it's the same with, with Russia. Whether Putin stays in power is, is you know, anyone's guess. But there will be someone there, and that big Russian bear will still be there to keep us all scared. Indeed he will, sir. You want to talk about the Chinese balloon? Oh, why not? Yeah, Chinese balloon. That was a weather balloon, was it? You know, the, the thing with the, something the size of a jet airliner slung underneath it. Um, yeah, that's a weather balloon. <laughs> first detected over the Hawaiian chain, I think. They, they You picked it up, didn't you? Alaska. So over Alaska. Yeah, they had it over Alaska. So it was all the way over in the Pacific, but it wasn't shot down until it reached the Atlantic. Yeah, well, they didn't want to risk any damage to any property or <laughs> or anything. <laughs> That's what they said. That was their official statement. We we don't want to risk any property damage or, or anything you know, because there's so much property that you can damage between uh, Montana and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and anywhere east of the Mississippi. The, th the thing is, again, this is an example of what you were talking about earlier, about how Chinese air technology and Russian air technology has always lagged behind slightly because they're, they're very good at copying, but the, the copies are never as good. We've now got things called pseudo-satellites, and they are basically, you know, autonomous vehicles, autonomous flying vehicles that can stay up at 40,000 feet for three months and land, but in a controlled manner, so they know where it's going to land. You don't necessarily know where a balloon is going to land. So that was an awful lot of hardware slung under a balloon just to lose into the sea, which is probably what would have happened if it was flying around that area. The, the, you know, the, the prevailing winds at those altitudes, they do go in a, a fairly set cycle, but they couldn't guarantee where that balloon was going to come down. The pseudo-satellites, of course, which we are using, they fill in the gap between uh, geostationary satellites that we've got for communications and military purposes. Uh, the bits of the planet where they don't reach are now covered by these UAVs. Do you, you recall the, um, the airliners that went down near Australia? There was two in fairly short succession. Because that bit of the of the sea, that that bit of the planet, isn't or wasn't covered by uh, geostationary or orbital satellites. So now that area is covered. So that aircraft would not have that uh, we would, would have known where they were and where they where they crashed. So the Chinese are still well behind that kind of technology. So why are they so scary? Is because there are so many of them and they have so much military hardware, same as the Russians. It was my opinion that this was a, uh, a trial run for uh, a possible EMP attack on the United States, on the continental United States. Now, I I don't for one minute believe that these are, uh, and they, they continued to push this even today, by the way. There's articles this afternoon. Uh, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, and the State Department are all saying that these are surveillance balloons. I don't believe for one second that these are surveillance balloons because 
we have satellites, as you said. The, the Chinese, they've got satellites in orbit. They don't need to put surveillance balloons up there from what they can see from a satellite. It's not necessary. The North Koreans, as far as I know, they've got two surveillance satellites in orbit, I think, the North Koreans, and those pass over the U.S., I think, twice a day. So a balloon? No, sorry. I, I, think, it was a, I think it was a trial run to see a couple of things. One, what the reaction was going to be, and two, how they were going to handle it. Well, yeah, you may have a point, but... You know, I think they've been doing this for quite some time. And it may be that a great many times they've been detected, but the news has never been leaked. Uh, and because the news has never been leaked, the broader public just find this amazing, just find well, they it unbelievable. Even, they weren't going to say anything. The administration and, and the, uh, the Department of Defense, they weren't going to say anything at all until... Uh, a private citizen in Montana posted their own video from their phone saying, uh, there's something up there and it's got something hanging off the bottom of it. That's a cause for concern. They were just going to leave it alone until it started popping up all across social media in different parts of the country, you know, as it was as it was traveling. Yeah. But they weren't even going to cover it. And so, yeah, you're right. There was uh, something we were reading that one crashed off the coast of Hawaii about four months ago uh, from China yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, I don't think that they were uh, they were going to do anything about it uh, or say anything about it until they finally just had to admit it. However, there was another incident that happened out in Montana. And it was a story on the mainstream media for about five minutes. Something exploded at altitude over Montana, and it crashed back to the uh, the surface. The Pentagon said, no, we didn't shoot anything down. And yeah, clearly, well, we saw the video of something falling back to Earth. We saw it. Yeah, but none of us are being told the truth about anything at the moment, are we? So are we really surprised that the response is, oh, no, we didn't shoot anything down? Do you think they would tell us if they did, only if they absolutely had to. Yeah. And this is exactly where we caught it. This was the first reporting of it here, which I'm pretty sure we probably caught it coming out of uh, coming out of uh, uh, off the coast of uh, uh, of Taiwan before because it traveled right over top of there uh, before it got to the Aleutians. So I'm assuming that we would have caught it before then. But it's a it's a massive thing in the sky. I mean, it, it's 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 absolutely huge. And I'm pretty sure that they have been seen before. And again, they, they just want to push things to see how far they can get, don't they? Um, it could well be a test to see if they could get a uh, an EMP over the States. How many would they have to launch to make sure that the targets they wanted to hit got hit? And where would they have to launch them from? Balloons aren't an exact science. Yeah, there was an explosion there. Yeah, we're to for you can the see. benefit of the listener, we're now looking uh, at the footage of this explosion that where the happen. government said that didn't happen. Yeah. And you can clearly see the vapor trail of something. Yeah. And like you say, it was on the news for about five minutes. Yeah. This, as far as I know, this report right here from Fox News, and, you know, I'm not a fan of Fox News. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, my God. But this was on Fox News. And as far as I know, this is the only network that covered it. And this is the only time it was covered was this. It's fairly intense. Something happened up there. And with the levels of surveillance all over the states, you can bet a nearby military base 
were tracking whatever that was. And as far as I know, uh, one of our big ones out there, we've got a uh, we've got a testing facility out there as well as uh, uh, another one in Billings, which was directly over Billings, Montana, uh, which is where that took place. Uh, and that's one of our uh, nuclear sites as well. Well, it certainly gathered some data, didn't it? It certainly managed to to fly over a great deal of the country. The claim we, is that video is a hoax, by the way. Of course it is. The claim is it's a hoax, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, without picking it apart frame by frame, we have to treat it with a, a little bit of suspicion. But at the same time, we are being lied to. So it's no surprise that the answer was nothing to see here, move on. But Russia probes into the North Sea, through the Baltic, over the Baltic, and we're almost on a weekly basis. The big old bear aircraft are still being intercepted by RAF intercept aircraft. You guys are doing it too? Oh, yeah. That they, I didn't they've, know. They've, they've, they they commit incur- aerial incursions into Alaska, uh, into Alaskan airspace all the time. We have to scramble fighters to uh, to get them back out. And <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. You know, you, you know that the U.S. purchased Alaska from Russia for, I think it was $24 million. You knew that, right? Yeah. And that's been quite some time ago. But the Russians are now saying, no, um, sorry, we didn't sell that to you. We just leased it to you. Now we want it yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Can you imagine? In fact, I am imagining it because nothing seems to to make any sense anymore. Having Alaska, that very large landmass, right on your border, full of Russians. Well, I think it would be the Canadians uh, that would be more concerned because they share a bigger border with Canada than they. Well, they don't share a border with us at all. Uh, the Alaskans. No, exactly. But the Canadians are under Trudeau at the moment, who we all know is the bastard son of Cuba's communist leader. So Former um, communist leader, he's dead now. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe maybe parts of him still live. Maybe they've got his brain preserved just waiting for the the right the right situation. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like father like son. Back into a body. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I think his son is is carrying his legacy well enough, don't you? He certainly is promoting Marxism. Yeah, uh, it is. If I understand it correctly, the uh, expert that I was listening to on the former Soviet Union, uh, or I would argue the, still the current Soviet Union, said that uh, there was an agreement that was made. Uh, this was admitted by a, um, uh, I want to say the, the the defector's name was Colonel Stanislav Lunev. I could be mistaken on that, but he defected to the West in the late 80s, early 90s. I'm not sure of the exact year. I could double check that. But he was debriefed by this individual that I was listening to and said that, you know, he was telling everybody here in the West about how the Soviet Union was going to collapse. I'm doing the air quotes collapse, but it wasn't going to collapse because they needed to get rid of all the anti-communists here in the West in order for us to be infiltrated. So that was one of their long-term strategies. Uh, In the meantime, the KGB was going to start working with radical terror cells in the Middle East due to their experience that they had in Afghanistan uh, and use them against the West at the same time. Then we had the war on terror. Uh, but that's another story. But he he said back at the time of his defection that the Chinese and the Russians, uh, you know, it, what was the Soviet Union at the time, they had already made a secret military agreement. And that was back in the late 80s, early 90s, that in the coming years, China wants to physically invade the United States along with Russia. It will come to that. It will come down to that. But the agreement is, is that China wants the lower 48. They'll split up, you know, Hawaii 
he kind of surmised that China would uh, occupy Hawaii and also as well as Australia, which we can see the uh, the influence that they've had down there. They just made that pact with the Solomon Islands. And Ned and I were saying last week, you better mind those waters. And I mean, yesterday. But the agreement was is that China was t- would take the lower 48. Russia wanted Alaska and Canada. That was the agreement, uh, supposedly. And that was that was said by the uh, uh, Soviet defector from uh, the KGB defector from the 1980s, 1990s. You know, it, it wouldn't at all surprise me if if that wasn't what that man believed. But at the same time, when you're a defector, you want to make yourself as useful as possible to the country you're defecting to, because you want you want that security for yourself and your family if you manage to get any family out with you. So those kind of those kind of claims could possibly be made to reinforce the Western mistrust of the East, uh, of China and the Soviet Union, as was then. They have to be taken with a with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, it, it would not surprise me in the slightest if that pact wasn't a reality. You look at the wars fought in Southeast Asia, which were effectively against China. They want revenge. They want revenge for those wars. That's right. They um, do. And that may well be what's driving them. Well, and look at Russia. Um, look at Russia. We're, you know, everybody's running around. And, and this is what I, I, I'm so shocked at this supposed right wing alternative media that takes the side of, um, uh, of Russia most of the time. And I think to myself, hang on a minute. Look at who they're allied with. Just that alone, right? Take the, the politics and, and all the agendas out of it. Just look at who they're allied with. They're allied with all the communist countries, all the communist bloc countries. They're allied with China. They're allied with uh, North Korea. They're allied with uh, with Iran, uh, of all things. I mean, it, does this not make sense to people? They're allied with, with all the, the communist bloc countries in South America and, and with Cuba. And we're supposed to believe that <laughs> they've changed their ways all of a sudden? That's the problem with with human beings, I'm afraid. Ned would probably disagree with me to an extent, but we struggle not to piss each other off because we're quite greedy by nature. And you know me and religion. I'm not a big fan of religion, but it takes those kind of beliefs to fight against those natural urges to to grab all you can get and not share and invade somebody else's space or property it's really difficult to be nice and you can't expect countries that have been at war with each other to suddenly be best friends i mean even the uk and the states we've always had a rivalry underneath that alliance and special relationship you take the piss out of our plumbing our teeth and our cup of tea and we take the not. piss out of I do your donut-eating policemen. I, and, I, do not, um, I do not take the piss out of you for that. I just do that for for <laughs> aluminium, <laughs> for, for <laughs> aluminium, and and you put the you put use in everything like color and labor and neighbor and everything else. Yeah, it's because it's and spelled you, correctly that. And way. And you drive on the wrong side of the road, so I take the, I take the Mickey out of you for that. How's that? Well, that's you, but. Trust me, I've met enough Americans uh, and had the piss taken out of me by Americans and replied in kind to know that um, that, that rivalry is still there. But the, the getting back to the point, there is a desire for revenge. There is a desire to spread their ideology further. 
And the most hypocritical thing about that communist ideology is that the people pushing the masses into war don't really believe in it. They just enjoy how much power communism gives to leaders because it's an absolute obedience of the entire state to their government. And that's not what we're into in the West. We're into having a choice using our our free will. It's a terrible word, but enjoying democracy. Having said that, democracy these days is an absolute joke. It is. And I, I'd just like to throw this one out there. My favorite one from the, uh, usually the American that is not very cultured, you know, no disrespect to them, but uh, when they hear somebody with an accent such as yours, the first question they ask is, what part of Australia are you from? Yeah. 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 I've, I've had that. I've, I've had that. And when he got up off the floor, I told him. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to our Aussie listeners, of course. Uh, we have listeners all across Australia and Tasmania, if you can believe it. Well, Tasmanians, the Australians, they make fun of the Tasmanians just the same as Americans make fun of the Polish. Yeah. We make fun of the Irish and it goes round in circles. No yeah. one's nice to each other. No, no. And we should be, in, uh, especially in the English bloc countries, the Tazis, as they call them, I believe. I could be mistaken. You know, if, I, if I'm wrong, you know, I apologize to our Aussie listeners, as well as our, as well as our, we got Kiwi listeners too. You know that? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think. Unfortunately, it's not our. Dern the horse yeah, listens she, she, as well. Yeah, she, she does. Yeah, does she yeah. listen? <laughs> She's constantly DMing me. Oh, is she? <laughs> I've, I've told her to stop sending those pictures because, you know, they turn my stomach. But. You know, she can't help herself. She can't keep her clothes on. You got anything else before you uh, before you hop out of here for the week? Um, no. I did have a thought earlier on, so I will mention it. It was actually Boris Johnson's, and up until recently, my favourite politician, Churchill, that converted our Royal Navy from coal-powered steamships to oil-powered steamships which meant that all the coal that we had in the UK was suddenly not as vital as it used to be. And this flow of oil around the world was much more important. And I didn't realise it was Churchill that, that made that change because he was First Lord of the Admiralty at the time. And I think it's from those days that the influence families like the Rockefellers, who own all the oil, and the Rothschilds who owned the banks, that owned the companies, that owned the oil, uh, have really been able to get a grip of us. And bearing in mind that Churchill's mother was from across the pond, she was an American. It does make you wonder if Churchill was on the right side as well. So this is how messed up my mind has got, that I'm now even wondering if Churchill was a good guy. I guess that's as good a place as any to leave it. We'll see you next week, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be even madder than I have been today. So, that's uh, good. Maybe we'll have the... Uh, anything too coherent. Yeah, yeah maybe we'll have the, uh, the nuclear submarine deal inked by next week, huh? Do you think so? <laughs> <laughs> it's laughable. Why don't we just give them a carrier or two while we're at it? We've anyway. only got two. We can't spare one. Well, you don't need those. You're not using them, right? You know, just just think well, of what you could just think of what you could do with those in the, in the Black Sea to you know against the Russian aggression. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That'll do it for today and this week. So I want to thank you both for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.